Welcome to the Sermon Podcast of First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ of St. Paul, located in Matamidi, Minnesota. We are a suburban congregation united in Christ and grounded in the values of diversity, solidarity, and witness. You can learn more about us by going to fccstpaul.org. Here is this week's sermon. Our text this morning comes from the third chapter of the Gospel of Luke, verses 1 through 6. In the 15th year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of Judea, and Herod was the ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Eritrea and Trinocitus, and Lysanias was ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. The word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all of the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the prophet Isaiah, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all flesh shall see the salvation of our God. This is the word of God for all the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. The prophets remind us of the moral state of a people. Few are guilty, but all are responsible. Luke starts off today's passage with a whole bunch of names. Tiberius, Pontius Pilate, Herod, Philip, Lysanias, Annas, Caiaphas. Who in the world are these people? Well, the first five names belong to political leaders in the Roman Empire. Tiberius is the emperor, Pontius Pilate, the governor of, Ju- of Judea, and so on. And the last two are the religious leaders of the Jewish community, and they happen to be appointed by Rome. So the names are all here to tell us of the environment of the time. And this is the environment where Jesus begins his ministry, but it is also the environment of the character in today's passage, John the Baptist. This is the the milieu where he is in, where he begins his ministry and preaches repentance. Luke is trying to let us know that the word of God, the work of God, doesn't just take place off here in the ether. It takes place in a specific time and a specific place. Our God works in our world in a real time and place. Now, the names should also give you a clue that all isn't well in the world. Rome, of course, occupies Israel, and even the Jewish leaders are bought and paid for by Rome. And the rule of the Romans was harsh. As I said two weeks ago, Pontius Pilate 
was an incredibly harsh leader. He was so harsh that he was actually recalled to Rome twice in a 10-year rule. It is in this time where John appears preaching repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Now, if we were to stop right there, we might think that John is going to give these leaders the what for, that these are corrupt leaders and he is going to call them to account. And you would not be far off. John does get in trouble with the leaders. He gets in trouble especially with Herod and was in prison for calling the king to task. But that's not what's happening here today. John is calling all the people to repent through baptism. And that would be odd for the Jews. Because at that time, baptism was something that was meant for Gentiles who were converting to Judaism. It was not for Jews. So what John was saying here was pretty harsh. He was saying that the Jews were as in much need of repentance as the Gentiles. And that is a harsh word. But as the scripture has said, and we'll say next week, when we continue in this chapter, people still come to be baptized. Now, that is the setting. But what does this all mean? And what does this mean to us? And what does it mean during this most wonderful time of the year? The prophets remind us of the moral state of a people. Few are guilty, but all are responsible. It is easy to think that Advent is just a countdown to Christmas. Each Sunday we light one more candle, which means one less Sunday until Christmas. If you're someone that has an Advent calendar, you are opening those doors, checking down the days. But Advent is not just about preparing for Christmas. It is about remembering the first arrival of Jesus long ago in Bethlehem. And it is also about the second coming, when God comes to judge the living and the dead. Advent is also a time of examining ourselves and seeking repentance. But it is human for us to think that we are okay, that there is nothing wrong with us, maybe a little problem, but it's the other guy that has the problem, not me. But the fact is, we are not okay. We are not even adequate. Episcopal pastor Fleming Rutledge has written in her book, Advent, The Once and Future Coming of Jesus Christ. And she says this about Advent. For many years, I thought that Advent that during Advent, one was supposed to pretend that Jesus hadn't been born so that we would be more excited when Christmas came. Needless to say, this stratagem didn't work. For me, it was a revelation years later to learn that the last weeks of Pentecost and the first weeks of Advent look forward to the second coming of Christ. 
In Advent, we don't pretend, as I once thought, that we are in darkness before the birth of Christ. Rather, we take a good, hard look at the darkness we are in right now, facing it and defining it honestly, so that we will understand with utmost clarity that our great hope and only joy is in Jesus' final victorious coming. Advent isn't about imagining darkness. It is actually about real darkness now in our world and in us. John the Baptist is calling us, just as he called the Jews of long ago, to repentance. But do we really need repentance? The prophets remind us of, a moral, of the moral state of a people. Few are guilty, but all are responsible. This week, we saw yet another school shooting, this time in the town of Oxford in my home state of Michigan. A 15-year-old has been charged for taking the lives of four teenagers between the ages of 14 and 17. It's hard to look at the suspect's face and not feel some sense of hate because this person took the lives of four people and caused trauma to a high school and to a town. All around southeastern Michigan, where I'm from, many schools were shut down on Friday because of copycat threats. The Oakland County prosecutor is angry and wants to throw the book at the young man with the hope that he will never ever see the light of day again. His parents have been charged with involuntary manslaughter. Words like responsibility are flying around and everyone is saying someone must be brought to account and someone has to pay. And it is so easy to look at this tragedy and think that we know where to assign blame. And let's be honest, we are all so good at finding blame. It has to be the suspect, it has to be the parents, or it has to be the gun lobby, or video games, you name it. Someone must be brought to account. And of course, someone does. That is what our justice system is about. But what about us? Are we looking at the darkness that we are in? Are we looking at how we have contributed to the darkness? One of the fascinating things that I've always noted about these school shootings, and they are tragic, but how many of these perpetrators were kids with problems, and for whatever reason, no one in the community seemed to notice. Or how about the fact that while we focus on school shootings that take place in predominantly white areas, we don't talk about the shootings that take place in the inner city that usually involve mostly African-American young persons. Or we don't talk about the disturbing fact that in the United States, we seem so willing to put away 
young people for the rest of their lives, trying them as adults, something that is unusual compared to other nations. There's a reason that we have confession and forgiveness in our worship service. There is a reason that we sometimes pray this line in our confession, forgive us of what we have done and what we have left undone. The line that I have kept repeating is from Rabbi Abraham Heschel, a very well-known American rabbi. There are a few there are a few that are guilty of this tragedy in Michigan, and the justice system will sort that out. But let's be honest, we are all responsible. It is time that we repent, not only for the things that we know that we did, but also for the things we do by omission, the systems, the cultures that we are a part of that like everything in this world is tainted by sin. But I go back to the thing that we want to think of ourselves as good people. We want to think that we don't have a problem. And so we blind ourselves to sin, the sin that is both individual and corporate. And this reminds me of what the poet W.H. Autumn has said in his very famous poem, September 1st, 1939. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. All the conventions conspire to make this fort assume the furniture of home, lest we should see where we are, lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. We don't want to face the world as it is. We want to see ourselves as good. And when we do seek salvation, we want to look to our leaders, the leaders like those at the beginning of the passage. We look to our leaders, our presidents, our prime ministers, and countless others to bring us salvation and redemption, but it doesn't work. Yes, it may solve a problem, but it doesn't take away the sin. It can't, because they are just as sinful as we are. But there is good news. The good news is that John tells us that there is a voice crying out in the wilderness, a voice that brings hope. This hope will make the rough places plain, will lift up valleys, will straighten the crooked and bring down the mountains. This sounds very much like what Mary says in her Magnificat, where it is God that brings down the mighty and lifts up the lowly. What Advent reminds us is that we cannot save ourselves. Our laws will not save us. Our Tiberiuses and Pontius Pilates won't save us. The only thing that can and does save us is the one that we are waiting for in this Advent, the one John talks about that will bring down mountains. Methodist, the Methodist pastor Taylor Mertens has said that we need, what we need is a power from outside ourselves 
that will do what we can't. We need a love that reorients our desires, and we need an unearned righteousness that makes a sinner a saint. And thanks be to God that power, love, and righteousness has a name, Jesus Christ. Advent is an ever-present reminder that our greatest hope and our only joy, he, he continues, is in the once and future coming of Jesus Christ. He in himself is the power that is able to make new a creation out of people like us who simply can't save ourselves. The prophets remind us of the moral state of a people. Few are guilty, but all are responsible. We are all responsible. But there is good news. Hope is coming. In fact, hope is here. So let us repent and place our trust in the Messiah that is to come and that has come. Thanks be to God. Amen. We hope today's sermon podcast was nourishment to your soul. If you'd like to know more about First Christian Church of St. Paul, please visit our website at fccstpaul.org. That's F-C-C-S-A-I-N-T-P-A-U-L.org. May God be with you in the coming week.